Uncommon Sense Advice on your work life, your personal life, and God knows what else. Welcome to How to Do Life with Dr. Marty Nemco. Hi, I'm Marty Nemco. Continuing to be inspired by uh, Lex Friedman's podcast, which is both long form and uh, goes from topic to topic, quite intelligent. He with guests, but on my NPR show for many years, people said they like me best when I just tell forth myself. I'm going to try to do that. Fairly long form here, just myself. Even in honor of him, I've worn a white shirt, which is his signature thing, something I rarely do. I'm going to give you an advance notice of what I'm generally talking about. I'm going to talk about first macro questions about the world of work, that is societal, then micro questions, how you can, uh, suggestions for how you can improve your work life. And some observations about politics, education, psychology, and then uh, half a dozen miscellaneous things that didn't fit in any category. And what I thought I would do is I, my most recent one, I just kind of held forth some of my very favorite ideas across the board on all kinds of topics, uh, like including those I just mentioned. But here, I've just, I like to tweet. Tweet is, a, I archive my best ideas. I went over my tweets so far for the first eight months of, eight and a half months of 2022, and I picked out a bunch of maybe 50 that I think are the best and therefore uh, most useful to you. And I'm, I'm planning to just read each, hopefully with expression so it's not boring, but and only expand where I really feel it needs to, because that, to expand obviates the advantage of tweeting, which is forcing you to be really concise. Uh, so hopefully we'll able to cover a lot of ground and uh, hopefully be interesting to you, maybe beneficial. So first, regarding macro issues around work, that is societal issues around work. My first tweet was, how shallow that we give such a break to the pretty people. Yeah, it's a larger manifestation of the veneer we tend to, uh, it's like if I, you know, I tend to, to wear a, a t-shirt and I like to, you know, I do it because I just hate to be judged by veneer, but I, I can't, I mean, that's why we have a zillion dollar fashion industry. And people dress and wear makeup and jewelry to create a certain impression, drive certain cars. So today, though, as I said, in honor of uh, Lex Friedman, I'm wearing this white shirt. Okay, next. A new one poll, that's the name of an organization, survey found that 37% of the 2,000 Americans polled plan to call in sick or skip work to watch March Madness. That's the college basketball championships. 46% say they'll be much less productive when March Madness is on. And we wonder why employers hire as few people and automate as much as possible. I should add in my previous podcast, this is so relevant to this. A Gallup poll found that uh, uh, 50, more than 50% of people are quiet quitting and a UK poll of a year ago said that over of 1989 workers who were claimed to be full-time workers, on average, they actually worked only two hours and 27 minutes a day, which was down from around 250 just a couple of years earlier. And, you know, we're talking about spending time at work, you know, making food, calling friends, checking email, reading political websites, all that kind of stuff. And of course, that, I, I lament that enormously because I so value that the meaning of life is in making as many of your heartbeats as possible productive. Because I could masturbate all day, I could eat all day, I could uh, 
you know, stare into space and meditate all day. And the world is no better. My life is not well spent. I believe it's not so much work-life balance, but the meaning of life is defined by how many of your heartbeats you spend in contribution. And I don't think it's valid to say that if you're uh, spending a lot of time working, that you're going to be unhealthy. Uh, it's stress, being out of control. Uh, and I see people be as stressed in recreation as they are uh, while working. Like, I'm working now. I'm not stressed. I feel like I'm doing the right thing, and uh, period. And I feel my life is more productive and beneficial than if I had, for example, here it's a Sunday morning, if I had simply literally or figuratively tended my garden, it would be less wise use of my heartbeats. Now, but why the increase in quiet quitting? I think, an, and this isn't the next tweet, an under-discussed partial cause is that acceleratingly, society's mind molders, the media, the schools, and the colleges, portray employers, especially in the private sector, as evil. So it's become cool to stick it to, quote, the man. And I think that's for the reasons I pointed out, the life well led, both individually and for societal benefit, are, uh, are maximized when we make the most of every heartbeat, not just be, our, just, our, our existence is not justified just by our being. We have a certain amount of rights that should accrue just from the virtue of being on the planet. Uh, uh, basic, basic safety net. But what to venerate? In my judgment, the hard worker, the light person whose work-life work balance is well out of balance is more to be venerated than the, the vaunted work-life balance. The next tweet, an under-considered hero, the geniuses who created Kindle. How amazing that I can get virtually any book instantly and beautifully readable. No trees cut down. No heavy books that, that uh, have to be shipped and everybody has to pay for and it's environmentally not good. All on a little pocket-sized device. I love it. I don't have to add to that. Next tweet. Too many people, and by the way, yeah, there were, I mean, there are millions of these tech heroes. And I'm not talking about the very front-facing ones, but the, 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 you know, the biotech researchers who create, who created the mRNA vaccines, the, uh, the people who created uh, iPhone 14. Those people are unsung heroes, not our, should be our politicians. I'll talk more about them later. Not our athletes, not our musicians, even though I love music, it doesn't matter. They're, in terms of contribution, I think these, these tech, smart, hardworking people working in anonymity are much more deserving of being our heroes. Next tweet, too many people are marketing or selling or fundraising, which is the nonprofit equivalent of selling, something that's no better and sometimes worse than their competitors. They may be even pushing something that most people shouldn't spend it all on, even the competitor's product. Are there not better uses of one's work life? I'll let that sit unadorned. Next tweet. Sure, you can be better liked if you prioritize relationships, but is that the only defensible currency? People who prioritize contribution over relationships probably make a bigger difference to their sphere of influence. Should that not be just tolerated, but venerated? Next tweet. What they don't teach in nonprofit management programs. This came from a client. A nonprofit wants to acquire a small one to get more power. It had been funding the small nonprofit, but now, because it wants to buy that small nonprofit cheap, 
it pulled the funding for that small nonprofit. So that small one, desperate, will accept a low ball offer. That's the real world. That's not the kumbaya rhetoric that's very easy for professors and politicians to spout about the wonders of uh, kumbaya and, and how wonderful nonprofits are. People are people. Next tweet. My greatest worry for the world, the decline in the primacy of merit in selecting people and allocating resources. That ensures our devolution to a low common denominator. I believe that in my heart, that is probably my most deeply held value, and I am seeing increasingly across my clients and macro where merit, that is intelligence, drive, expertise, being low maintenance, is being less used as criteria for hiring in favor of demographic considerations. Next tweet. And uh, these next two are both related to merit as well, so central to what I believe. We've come to a point where the word merit has become tainted. I thought that was over after the Dark Ages. I was wrong. Next tweet. Historians will note that America's decline and fall was caused heavily by the replacement of merit with other considerations in hiring and allocating resources. All right, now let's turn to uh, uh, the micro aspects of work, that is aspects of work that could help you with your individual work life. Here's the first tweet in that category. Keep a nugget file of every good idea. For example, the client who just left, I wrote that a few months ago, but a client a couple months ago, is a landscape architect. He complained that he lacks creative ideas he appreciated my suggestion that he Google the words landscape designs and in a words processing file, so it's very simple, copy and paste his favorites. That enables him to get a lot of creative ideas. Keep a nugget file. Whenever you, you, know, whenever you come up with a good idea, write down the nugget. I use my Twitter for that to archive ideas, not all those that aren't relevant to you, but those that would be relevant to you. Next tweet. Too many, quote, strategic planning meetings aren't worth the time. A lot of people spend a lot of time, and the results are the obvious or platitudes that don't get implemented. I feel that way about meetings in general. So many dog and pony shows by people trying to advance their careers, and that also is true of government. I watch C-SPAN a fair amount, and I'm amazed at how much of it is just selling dog and pony show BS to try to get money from the government. I'm, I'm talking about the people who come to testify before Congress. Next tweet, key to job satisfaction, that much of the work is of moderate difficulty. If it's too difficult, gain skills so it is moderate, or more often, probably just ask for help. If some of the work is easy, that's okay, we all need breaks. But if too much is easy, could you take on a challenge? Next tweet, transactional relationships get a bad rap. As long as the transaction is worthy, such transactional relationships and transactions usually yield more good than a transaction-free, relationship-focused conversation. I have a number of what I call co-counseling relationships with some of the smartest, most well-intentioned, most thoughtful people I know. And when we meet for a half an hour, and during the first 15 minutes or so, the other person talks about a problem they're having, and I try to help guide that person with solutions, sometimes just asking them questions, sometimes offering suggestions. Then at the 15-minute mark, we reverse. And it's always about a transaction, something that could practically improve their life or 
something we could do together, a work project. Those transactional conversations, I believe, are far wiser than if we were just talking about reporting about family and friends and pop culture and sports and the next vacation and fashion and cars and whatever. Next tweet. This is a short one. How much of friendliness and kindness would you guess derives from self-interest? I'm not sure. I think it's about half. Just something to keep in mind. But I think we probably do anyway. That may not be my best tweet. Next tweet now. As you're walking, when 20 or 30 feet from someone approaching you who is looking at you, if only momentarily, note their facial expression. Then look away and at the 10-foot mark, note any change. Do that again at the two-foot mark. You will learn something about how you're perceived. I'll, I'll use an example. I notice that uh, because I'm not physically attractive, I face, and I tend to have a sober kind of expression that's kind of just my natural expression, I notice people, when they first see me, whether 20, 30, 40 feet, depending upon their vision and the lighting, they will change. They will either look down, look away, or whatever. Not in the beginning, because they haven't quite seen me yet. But when they get closer, so around 30 or 40 feet, that's their, their baseline demeanor. Then they're closer to me, and I'll very often notice a change. They'll either lower their head, or turn away, or keep their eyes steeled forward. Uh, you learn a lot about how you're perceived from, from that little activity. Next tweet. Don't prematurely dismiss an obnoxious advice giver, whether it's a professional or a friend. While ideally people would be both brilliant and tactful, those are often not combined. Indeed, geniuses are subject to hubris and impatience. Try to judge an idea on the substance, not the style. Next tweet. Smart hiring reduces to... Step one, draw your applicant pool from trusted referrals. Step two, focus interviews on few-minute versions of the job's common difficult tasks. And step three, hire for only one project if you can. If both of you are satisfied, extend the employment. Next tweet, an under-considered key to individual and organizational success, a sense of urgency. Too often a person's or organization's plodding cadence restrains progress and satisfaction with life. Sense of urgency. Next tweet. I surprise myself. Every time I think I've finished polishing something that I've written, I read it one more time to be sure it's perfect and almost always find things to change. So I try to follow this rule. It's not done until I've read it through without making one change. Next tweet. In a meeting, professional or personal, before you launch into what's on your mind, it's usually wise to let the other person do that. That tends to free his or her mind to listen to and be open to you. Next tweet. Before an important conversation or meeting, take an extra few minutes to think about what, specifically, you would like to be the outcome and a difficult question or statement you'll likely have to address. The moment before the meeting, take three deep breaths. Next tweet. Especially when dealing with a difficult person, do try to get a solution to come from him or her. If none is forthcoming, gently offer one, asking if it might work. If there's resistance or arguing, generally let it go. That's what I call selective disengagement. Works with my wife. Next tweet. It is so tough being an MD. I have many MD clients. Apart from the paperwork, non-compliant or know-it-all patients, and Medicare and insurance company runarounds. 
There's the frustration of the limits to what can be done with serious diseases, cancer, diabetes, heart failure, arthritis, and even in diagnosis. In the final tweet in this section, that is the micro aspects of work, even if your efforts continue to be ignored, keep at it, perhaps changing water how you do it. Maybe someone will notice, even be impressed. Maybe not, but do it anyway. I feel that is very much true of my uh, tweets and podcasts. Uh, I don't get a, a lot of attention, but I believe they're worthy, and I will keep doing them as long as I can. In any event, I'm going to take a brief break so my announcer can do her thing if you are indeed listening to this on a podcast rather than watching it on YouTube. I hope you'll stay with me for just a moment or two. I will be back. There are no commercials. You're listening to How to Do Life with career and personal coach, Dr. Marty Nemco. If you'd like to work with him, email him a description of your situation, mnemco at comcast.net. That's M-N-E-M-K-O at comcast.net. Marty is pleased if you choose to subscribe to this podcast. If you're not listening to this on Simplecast, just go to how-to-life.simplecast and click on listen and subscribe. Okay, thank you for staying with me. Um, now I want to talk uh, just a few of uh, my tweets and possibly additional comments on them um, on politics. First tweet. Democracy is overrated. Too many people are easily manipulated, especially by the media. Greater good would accrue if legislatures weren't elected but selected. The nation's most cited scientist, ethicist, teacher, cop, foreign non-profit CEO with the, the chief executive, that is the governor of that state or the president of the United States, voted in by those legislatures. I should also add, I would include some random people in those legislatures so that the, you know, the full range of people are represented. Next tweet, is government's response to COVID an example of too many cooks spoiling the broth? meaning so many overlapping rules, so much unnecessary lockdowns, so many layers of approvals of this or that. Next tweet. Censorship has long been a tool to gain power, only to yield a short-term, quote, gain and long-term dissolution, but we never seem to learn. As I said in my previous podcast, we are increasingly subject to the three C's, and as I listen to Lex Friedman and his guests, uh, uh, Eric Weinstein, and I think Tyler Cowen, and also Alan Dershowitz, we are all, and many of my intelligent colleagues who I speak with, are terrified that we are in uh, worse, much worse than McCarthyism, but from the left, and that is not in society's best interests. Another political tweet, next one, idealists urge policy based on how they wish the populace would behave, realists on how it does. I mean, the socialist ideal is unarguable in my mind, but it flies in the face of humankind, Maslowian tendency to take care of number one, despite their virtue signaling and protestations to the contrary. And the final political tweet that I want to share with you today is, Paradoxically, revolution often requires patience. Each portrayal of a have-not as taken advantage of by a have 
moves us a tiny step leftward until the tipping point when a flood bursts through the dam. I believe we're close to that point in the U.S. Everything I see in professional meetings, the media, the schools, the colleges, commercials, sitcoms, everything portrays the haves as neutral or lesser or less worthy than an oppressed have-not. I believe that is A, unfair, and again, does tend to reduce us to a lower common denominator. Because those successful people are not like they show in the children's movies, kings who just from primogeniture inherited their wealth. Most wealth is acquired mainly legitimately by creating better products, better services, being better middle men and middle women. Next topic for these of these tweets is education. First tweet. One small but concrete manifestation of how bored I was in school is that now, decades later, I still recall how much time I spent playing tic-tac-toe and hangman with the kid next to me, or even by myself. By the way, I felt myself bored in school about the irrelevance of the curriculum through graduate school. Even though I was a supposed premier graduate school, I was a, I'm a Berkeley PhD, so much felt less worthy than what I could have been doing with my time. Even, you know, if I was caring about learning, which I do. Okay, next tweet. I waved goodbye to my bright-eyed kindergartner and said hello to my dulled second grader. That was actually the first line of my, uh, my book, How to Get Your Child a Private School Education in a Public School. It was my very first book written back in 85. Anyway, one reason I waved goodbye to my bright-eyed kindergartner and said hello to my dulled second grader was mixed-ability classes. Reading on a third grade level in, in, in the first grade, she was forced to read the second grade book and into indentured servitude teaching, quote, vulnerable kids to read pre-first grade books like The Cat in the Hat. Yes, I, I do. Anyway, I'll stop there. The next tweet. K through 20, that is kindergarten through graduate school, teachers, if they care about creating enduring, valuable learning, must replace lectures with mini-lectures, followed by experiences like debates and simulations. And the curriculum has got to be more relevant, what people care about. Yes, reading, writing, and mathematical reasoning, that is probability uh, and estimation, absolutely. But reading should not be focused on literature that kids don't care about, but reading about the things they do care about, money, sex, relationships, career. And also, as I did say in my previous lecture, I do believe that a nation of teachers can never be anywhere near as good as a hand-picked dream team of a few teachers for each little module that each kid, rich and poor, from Maine to South Central LA, could take an, on an individualized basis and would learn so much more. But the teachers' unions probably are the biggest vector that inhibit that. My next tweet is, the great horror of education. So much is irrelevant, or if relevant, obsolete or forgotten by the time you need it. Next tweet, so unethical and hypocritical that colleges turn out, with degrees and not, students with few skills and minimally increased job prospects. And although instruction is now heavily remote and extracurriculars eviscerated, universities don't cut tuition. The college, the university, 
which we say is a national treasure, is, in my view, America's most overrated product. Now I want to turn to a few tweets about psychology. First one is, I find myself questioning some of psychology's core assumptions. For example, that bullies are born of low self-esteem. I have seen many little Putins and Hitlers in the schools have too high self-esteem. They simply get off on the power. A second core assumption of psychologists that I'm questioning is the wisdom of talking it out. Too many people become no better and sometimes worse for flogging an issue beyond the briefest discussion, and that seems especially likely with revisiting past trauma. For me, talking about my problems tends to just make matters worse. It keeps the problem top of mind. If I had a solution, I probably would have come up with it. Best for me is usually to distract myself by getting into my work. What do you think about that? And the third core principle, this is the third tweet, the third core psychology principle I'm, I'm questioning is the primacy of praise over criticism. Too often praise yields complacency and stasis, whereas powerful deserved criticism and threat of punishment, not corporal punishment, but for example financial, is more likely to yield improvement. And the final uh, psychology-related tweet that I want to share with you today is that music can have the inexplicable ability to make work at least somewhat more like play. I like, uh, at the risk of sounding puerile, I love listening to things like 76 trombones, or uh, even there's something called the, uh, and I'm not a militaristic guy in, at all, but there's something called the Armed Forces Medley. It is very, just takes me out of my bad mood, and I keep it playing on a loop and so I do, while I'm working sometimes. The final section of just a few uh, tweets that I want to share with you don't fit in any of the previous categories. They're miscellany. The first one is this. At a given moment, I may feel that everything matters, yet minute later, I feel that little matters. I wonder if you feel that way, too. Next tweet. Think twice before being swayed by social science findings. Too often, they're larded with investigator bias or selfish careerism, wrapped in statistics or esoteric language to appear weightier. Think of social science research as potentially an ersatz beef wellington, cheap meat wrapped in puff pastry. I have another example of that, by the way. I saw four Latina caretakers speaking half in Spanish, half in English to not Latina toddlers. I wonder, when longitudinal studies of such kids into adulthood become available, how competent will they be in both languages compared with if just spoken to just in English? And yet there's a whole industry of academics who have made a living trying to sell bilingual education. And I'm well aware that an N of one is meaningless, but I am a child of immigrants, uh, spoke no English, but they only spoke just English, little, their broken English to me, not Polish. And I believe, as I think you can tell, I've become inordinately competent in my English language skills. It's enabled me to make my living at a fairly high level, using English as the primary vehicle for that. And I can't help but think that if my mind had to code switch between English and Polish, I would have spoken both languages adequately, but neither one well enough for me to be a high-level professional. So I, I do have a real question about the uh, this whole 
the social science research that has agendas other than what's going to be the best for humankind. And back to the miscellaneous few uh, tweets, and uh, this one is, I've just had a client say that meditation increases her anxiety. That's because even though she tries to empty her mind, because she's just sitting there, the fears, usually unsolvable or irrational, have more time to enter than if she's busy. And it's also time she's not getting stuff done. Meditation, I believe, is a fad that's going to go away. Next tweet. Maybe it's just because I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, but in recent years, I've noticed a decrease in the amount of colorful clothes I see people wearing, and an increase in dull colors, mainly black and gray. feels a little like the Soviet Union. I think I have no real basis other than, you know, a priori in my brain for thinking why this is. I think that the left is so anti-capitalist and believes society is so systemically racist and, and capitalism is evil and uh, needs re the revolution is needed that they would be perceived as frivolous if they were wearing yellows and reds and bright blues. And I could be dead wrong about that. Just a little hypothesis I thought I'd share with you. And the final tweet I want to share with you is, I am a pretty efficacious guy. And yet sometimes I feel overwhelmed by all that I have to do. Oh, I guess I do have one more, one more tweet. I've just turned 72, actually a couple of months ago now, I wrote this when I was just turning 72. While I am healthy, if I am lucky, I probably have, you know, with men dying five years earlier than women and uh, suffering worse health in their last decade, if I'm lucky, and yet all the medical, gender-specific medical research is on women, I did a review of, uh, uh, in PubMed of uh, 60 years of thousands of medical journals, and 95% of the gender-specific research is on women. And outreach is also heavily women. Uh, last I checked, there were 39 federal agencies on women's health, none on men's. But I digress. Anyway, I'll re just reread the end of this tweet. I'm, turning, I'm 72. While I'm healthy, if I'm lucky, I probably have just a few more years before becoming less productive or dead. No matter our age, I do believe that we should make the most of every minute. I've tried to do that with you here. I wish that for you. In any event, I do thank you for watching or listening if you're listening on my How to Do Life podcast. I welcome your thumbs up and accept your thumbs down. I always look forward to your comments, especially like it if you share this on your social media so that my efforts can have broader impact. I'm also, I've just written a couple of new books that have come out in the last couple of months. One is called Jeremy's Quests, Succeeding and Starting Out, and the other is Soloists. It's 123 short, short stories of introverts and outsiders facing a dilemma. In any event, I do thank you for watching. I'm Marty Nemco. You've been listening to How to Do Life with Dr. Marty Nemco. For comments on the show or to consult with Dr. Marty Nemco, his email address is M N E. MKO at Comcast.net. Post production of How to Do Life by Terry Rouse. Music by Blue Dot Session. Thanks for listening.